Father, thank you so much for uh, your word. Thank you that in uh, the midst of uh, this world, with all that we are going through at the moment, thank you that you are a God who speaks and that you guide us through your words and you point us to your son, Jesus. Thank you for what we see of him here. Pray that we would come to him and find rest. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, if, you, if you're sitting in the middle here and you look up, you can actually see it's printed on the, on the wall or on the bottom of the balcony. So, in 1823, or whenever it was when they put this up, uh, <clears throat> that verse was in the kind of top six of verses that need to be printed on the side of the church, because um, it's uh, that well-known and, um, uh, and encouraging. But of course, if we look around us today in London, in the UK, in the world, in the 21st century, well, actually, many people don't come to Jesus. And many people won't come to Jesus. Now, it can be quite perturbing for a younger Christian, maybe someone who's recently become convinced of the truth of the Christian faith and they're trusting Jesus for the first time, and maybe they try and explain to their friend who's asking them why they're bothering with all this Christianity stuff and you know, why they're going to church. And they say, look, I've looked into the evidence and I'm convinced there is a God. He's made himself known in Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a perfect sinless life and he died a sinner's death on the cross as a substitute. He took the judgment you and I deserve and he rose from the dead and he, and, and he defeated death and all that's opposed to God in order to reign as God's king over the whole universe. So I've done a U-turn. I've stopped going my way and I've turned back to God and I'm trusting in Jesus and I'm following him now as my saviour and my lord. Those may not be the exact words that someone might say, but something along those lines. And the friend says, are you mad? There's no evidence any of this is real. You do realise that. And the Christian says, no. Well, have you checked it out? Have you actually read one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life? Oh, no, no, I don't need to read uh, those. I just, I know they're not true. I mean, what about science? People don't rise from the dead. I mean, this is ridiculous. The Christian says, well, actually, science can't prove that that could definitely never happen. It can only observe that generally people don't rise from the dead, which, of course, is precisely the point. And so the friend says, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, but what about suffering? I mean, if God is so loving and so powerful, why does he allow suffering? And the, the Christian says, well, yes, that's a hard question. But th th there are things we can say because God hasn't stayed aloof from suffering. He's come and he's got involved as a man who suffered the greatest pain and injustice in order to end it one day. And so the friend says, oh, yeah, yeah, but there's no evidence. And so you go round and round with objection after objection. Sane and rational responses to these questions are available. And yet, they, they just don't seem to be heard. They don't seem to be understood. And, and, and when you combine that with a bit of smug teasing from a bunch of non-Christian friends, and the Christian easily starts to wonder, is it me? Have I been duped? It, oh, it seems so clear to me, and I, I, I know God, I can pray to him, I know he hears me, but my friend dismisses me as a lunatic. So come to me, says Jesus, 
but people don't. Why that happens is the question at issue in this section of Matthew's Gospel that we, we started looking at last week. The, this, the, the, <clears throat> these chapters that we're looking at this term, they're about how the kingdom of God spreads and grows. Last time we heard John's doubts, John the Baptist's doubts as he was stuck in prison. You know, surely if Jesus was who he said he was, he would bring justice straight away like the Old Testament promised. And we heard Jesus show how justice is coming, but it's being delayed so that God's other Old Testament promises of mercy and forgiveness can be fulfilled. And so there's a window of opportunity in which people can come to Jesus. And so then our question follows naturally. Well, what about when people don't come? And what we see here is that the root of the, the answer to that question is it, it, it's not a 21st century thing that people don't come to Jesus. As if in the, you know, back then, 2,000 years ago, well, of course, everyone was incredibly gullible. And, and you know, now, these years later, we've, we've all grown up. No, no, it's actually, it's the opposite. In fact, even with Jesus right there in front of them, doing the miracles that are written about here in, in Matthew's Gospel and elsewhere in the Gospels, still many refuse to believe what they saw with their own eyes right in front of them. So what do we make of that then? Does that mean it's all nonsense? Well, no, we need to look at what Jesus says here in this next little bit as he shows us first the reason that people don't come to Jesus, then the results for people who don't come to Jesus, and then finally the invitation to weary people to come now to Jesus. So that's what we're going to see. First of all, the reason that people don't come to Jesus. From those verses 16 to 19, you can see there. So Jesus says, you know, imagine children playing a game in the playground and they're trying to get their friends to join in. We've all kind of been in that situation, haven't we? And, and well, this is a particular game they're playing. They're saying, let's play weddings. And they sing a wedding song. And their friends say, no, 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 we're not in that kind of mood. That's far too happy. So they say, okay then. All right, we won't play weddings. We'll play funerals. Let's play funerals. And so they sing a funeral song. And their friends say, no, 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 we're not in that kind of mood. That's far too sad. And what Jesus is saying is as people turn their backs on him, they're like these children in the playground who can't be pleased. When you're trying to get people to join in and they say no, whatever game you suggest, as it were, well, the only conclusion is what? That they don't want to play at all. They've already decided they're just not going to get involved. And Jesus is saying, look, that's what's going on here. Take John, he says, John the Baptist, verse 18. Well, he says, look, he came in the style of an Old Testament prophet, you know, very severe, very countercultural, with his strange clothes and his diet, and he's living out in the desert. Oh, no, no, we, we don't like that, say the people. You know, that's far too austere, it's far too severe. He, that, that message of repentance that he preaches, it's far too cold, far too hard as a message. Well, then take Jesus himself, says Jesus, the, the Son of Man, that's Jesus. Verse 19, 
He's the opposite, isn't it? He eats and drinks as much as he wants, but of course he's doing it with tax collectors and sinners. Oh, no, 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 say the people. That's far too lenient. It's far too forgiving. How can he be friends with people like that? You know, no, no, they're, they're, they're scum. You can't befriend them. Jesus, you're far too soft. So do you see? He's saying these are people who just can't be pleased. John is far too hard. Jesus is far too soft. It's a bit like today when people say, well, I've got a real issue with the God of the Old Testament. He's so full of judgment. We hear people say that, don't we? And so you speak to them of how actually that that same God that you read of in the Old Testament, no, he is also a God of mercy. We see that promised in the Old Testament. We see that as uh, in Jesus in the New Testament. And through the death of Jesus, anyone who trusts in him can be forgiven. And then the same people say, oh, no, 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 that can't be right, because that means a dictator could be forgiven. You know, this, this idea of grace, of free grace for everyone. No, 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 we, I don't like the sound of that either. So what if, if that, you know, when you get these sort of double-edged protests, what does that come down to? It means, well, unless God does exactly what I want him to do, and unless he forgives the people that I think should be forgiven, and unless he judges the people that I think should be judged, then I'm having nothing to do with him. Well, hang on a minute. <laughs> what kind of God would that be? Well, it would be a God made in our own image, wouldn't it? And so, you know, you put that to somebody and the, the excuses come. What, what about science? And, well, a sane and rational answer is given. No, 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 no. What about suffering? No, and another sane and rational answer is given back. Okay, what about those who've never heard? The sane and rational answers to these questions. Back to science then. Back to suffering. Back to those who've never heard. Jesus is saying, do you know what? It's not lack of evidence that's the problem here. The people of his day had the evidence right there in front of them. Look at, and look at verse 19. That's what he's saying. He says, wisdom is proved right by her actions. Look at what I've done. Go back to chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew and, and look at what he did. There's plenty of evidence, but are you prepared to really engage with it? Are you prepared to kind of take it seriously at what it's pointing to? Or have you already decided, I don't like the conclusion of where that might be pointing to, and therefore, it's obviously not true? See, the reason people don't come to Jesus, Jesus is saying, it's not lack of evidence, it's that they've already decided they don't want to. But then Jesus goes on, secondly. The results for people who don't come to Jesus. Verse 20 to 24. So look, look at verse 20. Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. And maybe this kind of thing isn't actually what we particularly associate Jesus with. Did you know, we often point out that the word hell is found more on Jesus' lips than anyone else in the Bible. He's the one who uses that word. He's the one who speaks about it. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Now, it's that, that, that word isn't here in these verses, but it's the same concept that Jesus is speaking about of the settled and just and fair 
judgment of God coming on those who persist in rejecting him to the end. Now these towns that he mentions are Galilean towns where he's been performing miracles. Capernaum's where he is back in chapter 8. The town, that's the town he's been living in. These are the people who know him. And even when faced with the miracles, they're refusing to follow them to their obvious conclusion. Now, let's not forget, these miracles that he's doing, they're not small things, are they? He's healing the sick that no doctor can help. He's calming a terrifying storm that had seasoned fishermen despairing for their lives. He's raising the dead. And so... Jesus doesn't hold back in his comparisons with these Old Testament cities who rejected God and his prophets hundreds of years before. Tyre and Sidon were centers of commerce, centers of prideful, boasting rejection of God. You know, we don't need him. We've got all the security we need in our commerce, in our industry. And they had, the judgment came on them. Sodom is held up as a paradigm for sin and rejection of God throughout the Bible. We saw when we studied Genesis a while ago, it was utterly destroyed by fire and sulfur in Genesis chapter 18. But even they, he says, even they would have repented if they'd seen what you have seen. And for all of these cities, it will be more bearable for them on the day of judgment than for you. It's striking, actually, isn't it, when you think about it. What's the implication of this? Everybody who comes after Jesus and who has the opportunity to hear of his miracles and the evidence that points to who he is, everyone in that position is either far more better off or far more wretched than all those who came before Jesus. See, we have an opportunity here in the 21st century and in all the times after Jesus, that those who lived before him would have longed for. They would have longed to see. Jesus is saying, don't squander it by just refusing to consider the evidence before your eyes. And the evidence that we have here in these eyewitness accounts. Embrace this opportunity, Jesus is saying. Remember why these towns are rejecting Jesus? We see it here again. Look at verse 23. Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? Now that's a little allusion to what we heard in the first reading from Isaiah chapter 14. So Isaiah is talking about Babylon, the great rising superpower of the day. And so he says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. <clears throat> you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Do you see that? We're ascending to heaven. It's the same language. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I'll ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So this is arrogant Bar Babylon saying how great they're going to make themselves. But here comes God's response to Babylon 800 years before Jesus, you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. So can, can you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, you've got that same prideful attitude. We're fine as we are. 
you're saying. We don't need God to help us. We can figure life out by ourselves. We don't need Jesus. It, it, it sounds so harmless to say that, doesn't it? It sounds so harmless to just to say, do you know what? I, I, as I am, I'm, I'm okay. I'm just going to carry on. You know, you're asking me to change. I, I, I'm fine, actually, thank you. That, 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 as a response, sounds so reasonable. As, as very politely but firmly, the offer that Jesus makes is rejected. And the result of that, Jesus says, is deserving even greater judgment. And if, if that is our attitude today, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine as I am. I don't see the problem. I'm living a perfectly respectable life. Well, no, beware, be warned says Jesus. Pride comes before the fall. The, the judgment Jesus spoke of came within history on those Old Testament cities we've already seen. But for the moment, there is now today this window of opportunity to come to Jesus before it's too late. Don't mistake God's delaying of that judgment for it not coming at all. That is Jesus's warning. And then finally, we come again to that window of opportunity to the invitation to all people to come now to Jesus. The invitation to weary people to come now to Jesus. Verse 25 to 30. Alongside those words of judgment now come words of grace. All this talk of evidence, you know, look at the evidence and you will be convinced. Well, in one sense, that could still leave us cold. Because, you know, is, is Christianity really just about, you know, the law court? Cold, hard, true or false? Well, yes, it is about that. It needs to be true. But it's about so much more as well. But Blaise Pascal wrote about how sometimes what is needed is not simply to convince people that Christianity is true, but to convince them that it is good news that it's true. Bring people to the place where they wish Christianity was true, he says, and then show them that it is. Sometimes we approach it the other way around. No, no. Make somebody just go, oh, wow, I, I, that sounds amazing. If that was true, I would want to follow <clears throat> Jesus. And then you say, well, do you know what? It is true. And here are the reasons why. And we get that kind of thing here as Jesus lays out what he offers to those who will to him I praise you Father Lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children what does he mean well that, <clears throat> these things that he's talking about are the miracles the truth about him that he's been sharing in the previous verses <clears throat> and the wise and the learned isn't talking about intelligence you know we've got a few PhDs here a professor or two even um, he's not saying you've got to abandon that kind of learning, but he's saying this is the kind of person who in the previous verses is saying, I've got God sussed already. I don't need anyone to help me. No, no, if, you, if that is the kind of wisdom that you are clinging on to, realise it's entirely hopeless. If you want to know God, you need to know the Son. You need to know Jesus. This isn't just facts about God, is it? 
that you could read in a, you know, a theology textbook or something. No, this, if you want to know God personally, you know him through Jesus. See, the tragedy of those who just think, oh, everything's fine. It's all, it's all fine. I don't, you know, I don't need this Christianity stuff in my life, really. I don't really need Jesus. Well, the tragedy is, no, no, you, you are rejecting the precise way and the precise person in whom God can be known. And you think, oh, I'm, I'm, leading an up, I'm leading a perfectly upright life. You know, my, my friends and my neighbours would look at my life and think I'm a great person. Well, maybe they would. But you don't know Jesus, and so you don't know God. Here is the one who knows God as intimately as it is possible to know him, because Jesus the Son is fully God too. He's everything the Father is except Father. The Father is everything the Son is except the Son. So if you know the Son, you really know the Father. And the only qualification for knowing him is to admit that you don't know him, that you can't know him by yourself. And if that's your attitude, you are welcome. Jesus says, because it's his initiative, it's not ours. That's what he says when he, that's what he means when he, he, he says, those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Do you see that? The, the, the point is, if you could choose to kind of get to know God by your own initiative, well, that would be you making that happen. You know, as if, as if you know, maybe you just, I, I want to get to know the Queen. Well, you, you can't do that, can you? You can't just ring up the palace and say, um, right, I'm just booking in for the garden party next week. I'm booking in for tea with Her Majesty. You know, four o'clock on Tuesday would be great for me. Can I come then? Thanks very much. No, you, you can't do that. You have to wait for her to invite you. And that's how it is with God, do you see? And yet, before we get tied up in knots about, well, how do I know if God has chosen me? Well, he goes straight on to issue the most glorious invitation to anyone who will listen, to anyone who will admit that they are weary, that they cannot approach God on their own terms by doing it their way, to anyone who will just say, yeah, do you know what, that is me. Come to me, Jesus says. You are welcome. I will give you rest. The, the, the way of rejecting him, of just claiming you're fine as you are is a burdened way. It's saying, you know, I can handle this myself. I've got this. I don't need God to help me. George Bernard Shaw, the playwright, reportedly walked out of an evangelistic meeting once saying, I'll pay for my sins myself. I don't need any of this. I need God or Jesus to help, to pay the price for me. But hang on a minute, what a burden that is. To prove to have to prove that you are good enough. To have to prove that God should accept you through your deeds. Actually, if, you, if we look around us in a world that is largely ignoring God now, we live in a world where people are constantly, desperately having to prove that they are good enough, that they are acceptable. And then we talk about having to, you know, to demonstrate that you are kind of on message with the latest things which are going on in the, in the wider culture. And the pressure and the, the fear of being cancelled on social media for just saying the wrong thing out of line and boom, you're gone. That's the way our, a world without God increasingly is operating, isn't it? 
And it's a burden that will weigh you down and will weary you, says Jesus. It will, it will do this, like, like to this poor donkey with the, uh, the things on his back. It will weigh you down. And later, Jesus specifically rebukes the Pharisees for doing exactly this, for heaping burdens on people through adding to the law and making it something you have to keep in order to make God accept you. Well, what's the alternative then? Well, finally, we get there. The alternative is rest. Rest, of course, was what God did after six days of creating. The rest of the Bible is the story of him inviting human beings to join him in that rest. Not, not, not sitting around having a sleep or something which sounds rather boring, but rest is enjoying being in perfect relationship with him as we were created for. No need to prove ourselves. No need to kind of just, you know, act the right way all the time and make, you know, be fearing what other people are thinking of us. No need to make sure we earn it. I was sitting this week um, looking at, at John chapter 1 with, with somebody and, and he, just, he just said to me, well, hang on, you know, surely I need to earn God's acceptance. I mean, that's sure that's just obvious, isn't it? No, no, you don't. You don't have to earn it. It's given to you as a gift. That is the Christian message. You don't need to strive for it. You just need to accept it. And Jesus' way of summing that up here is rest. Come and enjoy that rest. Come and learn, he says. Take my yoke. I mean, oh, no, I knew there was a catch. I knew there was a catch because yoke is what you put on a donkey, like that poor donkey in the picture. Why would I want to take Jesus' yoke on me? And there's that, that sneaking suspicion, isn't there? You know, because if I take Jesus' yoke on me, he's going to spoil everything. He's going to limit my options. You know, that's what my, my friends at school and my friends at work, that's what they think being a Christian is. It's taking some terrible burden on you. And actually not being a Christian is the way to get rid of your burdens. I sneak, secretly fear that they're right. But no, do you know what? Here's the thing. What they're longing for, what they're prepared to sacrifice everything to get, you know, the non-Christian friends or whoever who are saying this, what are they longing for? They're longing for acceptance, they're longing for fitting in, they're longing for security, they're longing for happiness, they're longing for health, they're longing for joy, they're longing for laughter. Jesus has given himself, he's sacrificed himself already. For all those things so that you might come to him and have those things not for them to be constantly elusive constantly around the next corner as they are for so many in this world but to come to him and just enjoy acceptance fitting in security happiness health joy laughter rest with him augustine put it like this lord you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So the world around us has its excuses, its reasons it won't come to Jesus. Well, no, they're, they're ignoring the evidence. That's what Jesus is saying. They've already made their mind up that it can't be true. But the evidence is here, he says. It's really here. Go look at it. Go look at chapters 8 and 9, go and look at the rest of the Gospels in the Bible, even beyond the Bible, in the historical accounts of the day that demonstrate that this can be taken 
just as seriously as historical evidence. And the consequences of ignoring that evidence are grave, says Jesus. But for now, this invitation in these final verses remains. To anyone who will come to him, he will give rest for free, undeserved, unearned, paid in full. So will you come? Just have a moment of quiet to reflect personally on our own response to what we've heard. Father God, we do praise you for the rest that we find only in Jesus. We're weary and burdened by the expectations of the world around us or the expectations that we fear that you might have that mean that we don't measure up through what we say and do, as we know is true if we're honest. We praise you that you don't measure those things when you invite us to come. Thank you for this invitation to come to Jesus. Pray for anyone who's yet to do that. To stop looking for excuses, to know that the evidence is there, to see the joy and the wonder of a God who accepts us despite our failures and our weaknesses and our sins and who gives us rest and relationship with him that starts now and lasts forever. And if we've come to Jesus already, may we be encouraged to keep doing this day by day. May that strengthen us to live in a weary world and to keep holding out this rest a world that so desperately needs to hear about it. Amen.